This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Women at Work on Business Radio. Welcome to Women at Work and our weekly conversation about how we can help more women join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, Executive Director of Wharton People Analytics. New episodes of Women at Work premiere on Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, and you can find our podcast 24-7 wherever you get yours. Be sure to follow the show on the channel's Twitter handle, at SXM Business, and find me on LinkedIn. Coming up on today's show, we're going to talk about ageism in the workplace. As our listeners know, this has been starting to really bug me, partly because I'm starting to like see it up close as a person affected by it. According to a recent survey by AARP, nearly 80% of older employees, the largest number since the survey began in 2003, report having seen or experienced age discrimination at work. This has huge implications for all of us. It's not only another ism that erodes diversity and inclusion at work, stealing from all of us the contributions of these talented and experienced workers. It also has huge financial implications for the workers themselves, who lose opportunities for promotion and employment as they age, while potentially living to be 90 or 100 years old in a world that gets more expensive every single day. So we're going to talk about the multiple factors behind these concerns and what we can do to help these seasoned workers stay and succeed in the workplace. My guest for this discussion is Carly Ruskowski. She's the Vice President of Financial Resilience Programming at AARP. Carly, I'm so excited you're joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Laura, for having me. I am so happy to be here. We're pretty excited, too. We have a lot to learn with you and from you. Um, And so just so you know, Carly has 20 years of experience developing and executing successful integrating marketing strategies, brand campaigns, and marketing partnerships. And then perhaps even more impressive, she is a lifetime athlete who has run marathons, biked over 400 miles in five days, and she's still smiling afterwards and tries to enjoy every day like it's her last. So, Carly... Tell me how you, I want to start with you. How did you wind up at AARP? I have been in the D.C. area since 1997. I was getting my degree at the George Washington University, studying business, uh, while also doing internships at nonprofit environmental organizations. And sort of my love for the nonprofit model really grew here in, uh, in the D.C. area while I was getting an education. I started my first job at World Wildlife Fund uh, doing fundraising and have always been driven to work that has a a bigger meaning and that mission driven uh, work that, that, you know, so much of the D.C. workforce does. So after doing nonprofit work for a while, I I did have this part of me wanted that wanted to try the corporate world and did that for many, many years. Um, mostly in the marketing and communications realm in the entertainment industry and cable industry, as well as education. And an opportunity came up at AARP. I loved the mission of supporting the 50 plus as they age. And um, I've been here now over five years doing um, a few different things, starting with um, our driver safety programs, doing marketing communications a stint at our AARP foundation where we focus on the low income 50 plus and now uh, running our financial resilience programming work within our social mission programming. It's, is it amazing how you can look back on your career and it makes total sense in hindsight? <laughs> um, so I'm glad you're bringing all that experience to bear at AARP because um, it is a really important and influential organization. Tell us a little bit about who does AARP serve? We serve the 50 plus. And yet we have resources and support and offerings that might help people at all ages. Um, We have a ton of caregiving resources and there's over 40 million caregivers in this country and not all are 50 and older. Uh, We support a lot of what I do in the work and jobs area is supporting job seekers, workers that are looking to switch careers. And a lot of that those tools, resources, and offerings can be used uh, no matter what age you are. So speaking of age and these distinctions, I will confess, I'm certainly over 50. And um, about 20 seconds after my 50th birthday, the AARP card 
arrived in the mail, and I quickly threw it in the trash because um, I am not close to retirement. I am not old, and it represented both of those things for me. It was like ageism at myself, um, like I, you know, this this discomfort with aging. Um, talk to me first about why does AARP start with fifty and not sixty, since that's closer to typical retirement age. As we are all um, living longer, we're all experiencing aging differently. And I think AARP as a brand is trying to look at where people are in that process. And so some might come to AARP in their 40s. They might need the caregiving resources. They might need the work and jobs resources. They might need um, you know, help with an aging parent or some a parent who's going through Medicare and Social Security decisions. Someone might come to us not until they're 70. They've been working until they're 70. They're now choosing to retire and they need some of the resources and support that AARP provides. So it's really different based on everyone's situation, but it isn't the same sort of AARP that um, we might have grown up with. <laughs> And so, and when we think about workers in this context and the and the type of workers that we're concerned about, you know, even as I was thinking about all the questions I want to ask you, I was thinking about the words that we use. When do we call people older, elderly, mature? Um, how does 50 plus relate to those things? Because um, words can matter. So what words do you do use and why? I like to use an experienced worker or a mature worker. Uh, we do tend to use older workers quite a bit, and that does sometimes fall in the 40 plus. So with the Age Discrimination and Employment Act, that does you know, support and start at age 40. And so it's important to, to look at that. While we might cringe at the thought that 40 is considered old, um, we we look at it due to some of the legislation or bills that that support and protect uh, workers at that age. Yeah, this is th this is a good jumping off point for a little bit of my rage and confusion, which is that um, at forty, I feel like we're just really getting good at what we do. We're just getting really good at who we are. Um, the skills that we've been developing for say the last fifteen to twenty years in the workforce are now finally being matched by some wisdom, but. <laughs> You know, as wise as I thought I was at 40, um, I look back and I was like, wow, you know, another decade makes a difference. And so um, how is it that in your work you're trying to help – it feels like it's a balancing act of both how do we rebrand people of a certain age as still being vital and relevant and how do we recognize the challenges they're facing – I think for specifically for work, um, due to the tight labor market, I think the landscape is actually really promising for the older worker. You know, with a tight labor market, I think, you know, the tightest we've seen in mm -hmm. 50 years with low unemployment rates, uh, there's still 1.2 jobs open per job seeker. There's, you know, opportunity for older workers to, you know, show the value they bring to the organization. Uh, there's study and research out there that shows older workers um, support the bottom line of an organization. There's research that shows the benefits of a multi-generational workforce. And we do. We have five generations in the workforce right now, which is That's not crazy happened. to think about, right? <laughs> yes. And millennials are, you know, have started turning 40 and are in that that subset of, of older workers. And we're seeing, um, you know, the 65 plus and, and 70 plus uh, segments of the workforce being some of the fastest growing segments of the workforce and 34% of the workforce is 50 plus. So it's still a huge part of the current workforce is that, that 50 and older job. That employee. growing portion of people who are working even beyond where retirement, like you know, if you start with you could collect Social Security at 62, we think of 65 as a typical retirement age. And to hear that there are workers who are older than that, um, actively engaged in the workforce, what's driving that? How much of it is their financial need, 
how much of it is that they're an asset for the organizations that they serve, um, or is it that they just want to be at work? I think we're seeing all of it. There is some people who during the pandemic decided to retire early or they were sort of in that window and then due to inflation or other circumstances, they are now re-entering the workforce. Uh, we're seeing it due to, you know, just wanting that socialization, still having um, the need to, to be challenged and having a lot left in them to be able to offer to an organization um, due to their experience and skills. So, in your role, VP of Financial Resilience Programming, um, talk to me about how your work then impacts these various groups of people. Sure. So a lot of my work focuses on several different audiences. We focus on the direct consumer where we have tools and resources in the, the work and job space. Things like we have an AARP job board. We have a resume advisor where you can upload your resume for free and, and get feedback or you know, there's different paid packages. We have what we call our Skills Builder for Work platform that offers a catalog of hundreds of courses on upskilling and reskilling. Um, and that's sort of one big part of, of the work that I do. We also focus on entrepreneurs and small businesses. We have educational resources to help those who are interested in becoming entrepreneurs and starting their own business, or those who have started and need education and help and resources to continue to grow those small businesses. We also target and reach out to the employer community. We have what's called our employer pledge program, where employers can sign the pledge and commit to an age inclusive workforce, where we have tools, resources for the employer. Um, and so all those benefits, um, the, you know, the end employee, that, that those employers have. So we focus on multiple different audiences with tools and resources, but a lot of it is just the education component, is educating them on the value of the older worker, supporting the older worker, and uh, providing the support and resources they need for the 50 plus to decide how and when they stay in the workforce or leave the workforce, and you know both with the traditional and the non-traditional work. Um it's so interesting and exciting to hear. And it also, um, and by the way, I stopped throwing the cards that came in the mail in the trash and we joined. And um, I am regularly being kind of astounded by the breadth and quality of information that is coming out of AARP. But this is a whole different level. Um, talk to me about how these are designed to serve an older worker. Because, you know, there are places like the Muse and Glassdoor and other, there are sites that you can go to, you know, Indeed. Um, how is how is this targeted to specifically serve older workers and make it comfortable for them to use? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and one where we know we can sort of fill that gap. In one place, our job board, we work with our employer pledge signers and they post jobs directly to the job board. So we have a filter that shows as a job seeker, if you're going and looking for an opportunity, you can see employers who have already committed to a multi-generational workforce. And so you know you're kind of going into this safe place of like they're interested in experienced workers. They're looking for experienced workers. Um, I know that I will fit with that culture and, and sort of be, they'd be open to what I can bring to the table. Um, we also, with our entrepreneur small business work, we really do target the older entrepreneur um, while also focusing on multiple different diverse communities that we see through our research and data are over-indexing in this space. So we have resources and educational information for women and women entrepreneurs, women of color, uh, the LGBTQ community, um, the Asian American Pacific Islander community that is really taking our knowledge of these uh, of these specific communities and providing them the tools and resources um, to help either start a small business or grow their business. This is so amazing to hear. For those of you who just tuned in, this is Women at Work on Business Radio on Sirius XM Channel 132. And I'm your host, Laura Sauer, and my guest today is Carly Ruskowski, and she's the Vice President of Financial Resilience Programming at AARP. So, Carly, it's so exciting to hear that all of these resources are there and that they're targeted for these different communities. Um, because we're women at work, um, can you share a little bit with what are the unique 
challenges, needs, maybe opportunities that mature women are facing in both of these domains um, as entrepreneurs and then also as job seekers? Yes, Laura. Um, unfortunately, age discrimination is sort of the largest barrier for our older workers and still very rampant in the workforce. Um, and women, more often than men, um, are seeing this across the workforce. We also um, we also show that women are, are more often the caregiver of either aging parents or um, a loved one, which is causing women in their 40s and 50s to either have to leave the workforce for those, those caregiving responsibilities or turn down an opportunity to grow within their, their job. Um, and it found that like 30% of women 40 and over in the workforce are caregivers for either a spouse or a parent, a friend or um, a relative. Uh, also 49% of women 40 plus have done at least one of the following to care for a family member. So they've either had to work remotely, they've either had to change work hours, reduce hours, or use their sick and vacation leave, um, or in some cases quit their job due to these responsibilities that are, as we're, as we're seeing, usually fall to, to women. So to also, pull out one little thread from that that ties into current things that we've talked about is, like, that's a... A reality for so many women, clearly. Then we take the pandemic, where women were burdened in such an intense way. And I'd note that there are plenty of women who are having children at 40, so you're at 50, and you've got a 10-year-old in elementary school, and you're caring for parents, and there's all these challenges with work. It's so complicated, but that um, the impact that women, that the pandemic hit women so incredibly hard. And now that we're on the other side, these are people who need to be back in the workforce. Yes, and since the pandemic, some of the key sort of themes we're seeing from our research and data is that work-life balance and flexibility have risen incredibly to the top. You know, pay and is still there, but but work-life balance and flexibility and and more so for women. I think 84% of women 40 and over versus men at, you know, only 73% um, flexible work was a job requirement for mm -hmm. them. And 73% of women want the ability to work from home at least part of the time versus 59% uh, of, of men through our recent research. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, the numbers are inarguable. So what do, so as, so help is needed for all of these women. What are the experiences that they're having that are the problem? What is the ageism? How does the ageism present? Um, and how do they experience it? Yeah, and we have seen, I know you mentioned at the, the top of the show that uh, the 80% age discrimination that's been seen in the workplace. Luckily, we've seen that go down post-pandemic, uh, but it is still too high. <laughs> um, and so we are... There's a lot that AARP is doing um, across the enterprise to handle sort of age discrimination in the workplace. We have a share your story site where consumers can go on and, and tell their story to help educate others on what might, you know, they be also seeing in the workplace or experiencing themselves in the workplace. We also educate employers through our pledge program and some of the tools and resources that we provide on things you can do to help eliminate some of these, these barriers. So not asking for birth date, not asking for graduation date or other age-related information, either on an application or in a job interview. Um, also, some of the words, you mentioned words matter. And so we have a list of words that you know, might might deter an older worker before they've even applied um, things like digital native or marketing ninja, um, high energy. It already might deter an older worker to say, I, I, you know, don't belong in that culture. Or I don't I'm not a right fit for that position while they might have all the skills and experience needed. And so is the goal to get which comes first, chicken or egg? Is it that some of these mechanisms need to be changed or is part of the work getting organizations to include ageism 
in their definition of of the things, or rather, as a barrier to diversity and inclusion. We we encourage and educate employers and 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 help them sort of potentially add age into their DEI efforts. So not only signing the pledge to say that you're committing to age inclusion and you want to build a multi-generational workforce, but also in the, the, the DEI space, adding age into uh, the work that they're doing in that space as well. Because one of the, I feel like there's a, a particular ch- challenge for older workers is that um, they do have different experiences. They are, as a broad generalization, comfortable with different things. But there seems to be a wholesale lack of respect or recognition of their capacity to close the gaps while leveraging those strengths. So, you know, policy is one thing, but where does education come in? We provide, you know, tools and resources as well as research and data that shows the value of older workers. There was a research study done by Mercer that had a direct correlation between tenure and bottom line. And if you look at the data, older workers tend to have a longer tenure at an organization. And so there's ways that we can educate the employer to look at things differently or ways that they can help build a more inclusive culture. Starting an intergenerational employee resource group is another way that an employer can make their workforce feel that they're being inclusive across all different disciplines. Um, we also have a ton of data and research that you know just came out around older workers still wanting to you know learn new skills and grow and be challenged at work. Um, I think there's misconceptions around that notion that they're not willing to learn new skills or continue to grow within their their own you know, job function, as well as learning, wanting to learn new mm-hmm. technologies. Um, talk to me about the entrepreneurs a little bit. Um, what are the challenges that older entrepreneurs are facing and where are you targeting that effort? Well, Back in October, we did a survey of women 40 and older post-pandemic who launched a business since January 2020. So during the pandemic, you talked about the challenges that women faced with caregiving uh, due to the pandemic. And and 67% said that the pandemic did have an impact on their decision to start the the business and sort of being in a pandemic environment didn't stop them. So we saw sort of this big influx due to the pandemic and due to what the disruption in their work, what might have happened, this desire to start their own business, become an entrepreneur, follow a passion um, that only the pandemic sort of could have could have created that opportunity, right? When someone might have lost their job or had to, to quit due to caregiving and then all of a sudden they found themselves needing that income, mm-hmm. but not being able to go back to that very potentially strict sort of corporate environment. And, they and there's a in. courage. When I think about entrepreneurs, and it's interesting that you say passion, um, whether the, it takes passion to be a successful entrepreneur. There's also in a study I did years ago, um, with a group of business school alumni, it was interesting to see that the women who went into corporate work, consulting, finance, versus the women who became entrepreneurs, um, stayed in the workforce far longer, regardless of how many children they had. And that women who had gone the corporate route, um, and this was, um, and while it may be getting a little bit better, recent numbers say maybe not so much, um, you know, they could navigate it and it was hard with one baby, the second baby, it was getting really hard. Third, they were out of there because it was just impossible because the policies and the culture were just untenable. And that the women who became entrepreneurs were creating their own cultures. Um, they had a lot more on the line initially, but their trajectory, the arc of their professional lives became so much more integrated and robust. It was quite extraordinary. And, um, and there were a number of them who had gone the consulting route 
and then or the finance route and then shifted at in their 40s one because they needed out they wanted to work they had an idea but they also had by that point an amazing array of skills and connections that were necessary for successful entrepreneurship okay. and so and, yeah. and are yeah. you seeing this we're seeing it and um, we're trying to fill that gap and, and support that older entrepreneur. I mean, we were talking the other day, I had a friend whose son is going off to college and he's majoring in finance and entrepreneurship. It's a brilliant combination. And so they're supporting it at the universities and the young people coming, you know, into 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 and out of, you know, directly out of school. And so AARP can help educate and provide those resources. And we are seeing that when you're older, you mentioned you have the experience, you have the network, and you might have that little bit of capital that mm -hmm. you might need to, to start sort of that passion project or start that small business or you know, spark that idea that you've always, you've always had. So as um, we actually need to take a break, but don't go away. When we return, I'm gonna continue my discussion with Carly Roskowski, Vice President of Financial Resilience Programming at AARP. I'm Laura Zarrow, and this is Women at Work on Sirius XM Channel 132. You're listening to Women at Work on Business Radio. Welcome back to Women at Work and our weekly conversation about how we help more women join, stay, and succeed and lead in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, Executive Director of Wharton People Analytics, and my guest today is Carly Ruskowski. She is the Vice President of Financial Resilience Programming at AARP. Carly, welcome back. Thank you. So, Thank you so before we dive into, I got a whole list of questions. Um, tell me what financial resilience means, particularly in terms of like how AARP is looking at it. Financial resilience for those 15 over um, refers to the ability to kind of withstand some of the setbacks, perhaps the job loss, medical emergency, or perhaps another unexpected expense that they've they've, you know, had um, as they're approaching or navigating retirement, mm -hmm. or it's coming very soon, you know, based on on each person. And um, some of those factors that AARP supports the 50 plus on are, you know, savings and investing and debt management, um, tons of retirement planning tools and, and support, um, as well as healthcare planning. Uh, and it's important that you know, it looks different for everyone, um, and it depends on someone's individual circumstances, but um, taking steps to help build that financial security or financial resilience um, early, you know, it's never too too early to start, can help as you think about planning for retirement. I was really personally grateful to the first HR director I had in my first job when I was 22 years old, um, who, uh, when she went over the benefits with me, she's like, this is TIAA craft, and you're going to want to put in money now and don't ever touch it. She's like, trust me, you may not know what you want for dinner tomorrow, but you want this money in X number of years. And I was really grateful to have that. Um, but something that we've talked a lot about on the show is that in particular for women, um, who, one, take a financial hit, like women's earning powers over their lives are lower for so many reasons. We have the gender wage gap. We have the fact that women often take time off from their earning years for caregiving. Um, and never mind the social construct where so many women, I think, I'm hoping this generation is growing out of it, but where their husbands um were in control of the finances for the house. And we hear these heart-wrenching and scary stories of women who are widowed or divorced um, as at a mature stage of life and um, all of a sudden realize that the floor under them is not solid. And um, for those, because it's one thing if you're planning, it's good, it's important, essential, plan in advance. Um, but when, like you said, surprises happen, you're caught off guard. What are the resources that are available for everyone, but particularly women who are finding themselves at this stage without having the social security that men would have accrued, without having the retirement savings that men would have accrued, and now not having either the partnership or the guidance that they had been used to? 
I think education is the biggest piece. You mentioned Social Security. Many people don't know that, yes, you can start claiming Social Security benefits at age 62, yet 67 for most people, 66 in several months still for others, but for (laughs) most people, 67 is full retirement age where you can get your full Social Security benefits, but they might not also know every year you wait after age 67 up to age 70, it's an 8% increase in your Social Security benefit. That's a big increase. It's a huge increase and can mean a lot for those who rely solely on Social Security in retirement. I also think, like you mentioned, we have savings and planning tools, calculators, resources and support for um, for older women to be able to safely come and educate themselves on what they still can do um, to make sure that they have some security in retirement in their financial state. So this really crystallizes how important that time frame between, say, 62 and 70 is. It can have a profound effect on financial stability and safety um, really in those later years, particularly when health starts to fade and other challenges emerge. So in the planning perspective, um, what are for women who dropped who were out of the workforce for whatever reason and they're ready to come back in at that age what are the first steps that you would recommend that they take or resources that they should turn to we recommend tapping into your network most older workers have a huge expansive network from the years either in the workforce the years caregiving Caregiving is a huge job where you have to multitask, you have to manage finances, you have to manage medical expenses, different personnel potentially. There's a lot of skills and experience that caregivers have that we we sort of encourage that um, mostly women to look at as part of the experience they bring either when looking for what they want to do or re-entering the workforce. When you put it that way, it's really an amazing form of project management that uses all the same skills. Yes, yes. And patience. Yes. <laughs> and some of those soft skills as well, which, you know, we have a lot of data and research to show older workers uh, tend to, to bring much more experience in the soft skills realm. And employers are looking for employees that have those soft skills. That's great. I also, yeah. Um, I, we also encourage, and we do this in some of our workshops that we have in person across the country or our on-demand webinars in the work and job space, where we educate and encourage job seekers to make sure they've looked at the resume, mm-hmm. they are talking to others, make sure you get feedback on it, make sure you you know, create a LinkedIn profile, understand the value that that might bring when when looking for a job, um, making sure that, again, you're tapping into your network, but you're sort of putting it out there that you're looking to get back into the workforce and understanding and tailoring that resume for really what you want to do, even though you've got pages and pages of experience, really honing in on the skills and experience for those particular positions uh, to set you up. Yeah, reinforcing that rule that you don't have just one resume, that you customize your resume for each job you're applying to. Because especially if you're doing this at 40, 50, 60, you theoretically could have pages and pages if your resume was like a CV, if it was the list of everything you've ever done. And if you include all that, A, you'll lose your reader, and two, you're really dating yourself. (laughs) There's no hiding your age when you say, you know, graduated high school in X and took the following 27 jobs. Um, But anyway, back to um, the approach for um, people who need to go back into the workforce at this stage, particularly women. Is it what kind of work are is out there? What should they be looking at? Is it looking for a full time gig? Is there part time work? Does the approach work differently? What are the options for them? There's all sorts of options, Laura, as you mentioned, full-time work, part-time work, but there's also more than a quarter of older workers doing freelance or gig work. 
uh, when we've seen this increase since the pandemic. And 25% of women 40 and over are doing this independent and gig, gig work where the flexibility, the balance, the sort of deciding when I work and where I work um, is p potentially a larger opportunity for, for folks. And while 89% of gig workers say that you know, they might be doing it to make extra money and that's their primary motivation, we're seeing that flexible work hours, um, both when they work and from where they work, uh, is a close second at 87%. I want to probe the gig work for a minute because um, what and what it includes and what it doesn't. Um, in particular, frontline workers, um, older workers who are finding the jobs in their communities that they may be able to get, whether it's flipping burgers or waiting tables or um, any of the kind of hourly work that you can get without a greater commitment from the employer. Where does that overlap with and where is it distinct from the way that you're talking about gig work? There's some overlap. We're seeing some of that older workers taking those types of positions. We're also seeing um, the Uber and Lyft gig work. We're seeing freelance writers or contractors. We're seeing travel agents. It's you know a, a job or a career that you can do from anywhere. You can kind of set your own hours. Um, realtors sometimes mm -hmm. provide that flexibility for an older worker who's got a lot of experience, a large network. Um, so we do see some overlap with, a, you know, an addition of, of many other sort of careers. And is the, to what degree is gig work a solution for not being able to get a full-time job with benefits? And how often is it actually the desired way of working for this population? I think we saw an increase in this being desire a desired sort of track for an older worker be, due to the flexibility and the mm -hmm. work-life balance it provides. We also have seen that it's it's potentially a separate avenue should you be experiencing age discrimination or just not sort of that long-term un unemployment that we see tends to be higher for older workers. Um, it's a it's a different avenue or a non-traditional way for, for folks to, to be able to work, have income, have socialization, continue to, to have skills and experience without the traditional corporate work. As um, folks are moving into this stage of life and gearing up for um, not, you know, either wanting to get back into the workforce because they stepped out for whatever reason or um, recognize or for many, they're being deaccessioned from what were their big regular jobs um, and they want to and they want to and need to continue to work. Um, what advice do you have for them or what resources could they tap into to find and get access to the, ben the the resources of the employer that they're not getting. So in other words, life insurance, health insurance, dental care, vision care, um, those kinds of things that many employers provide that these workers will now be without. There's a few different trends we're seeing. One is what is called returnship. So if you think about internship and returning, sort of the melding of two words created this returnship opportunity and their programs designed to help professionals who might have taken a career break or they might have been forced out of uh, a job or had to quit due to other reasons and helping them re-enter the workforce um, through a structured environment but also one that provides training mentoring networking opportunities and exposure to trends and technologies, but also pay benefits um, and potentially part-time opportunities. We're also seeing it around um, more and more industries and, and organizations looking at um, apprenticeship programs. Mm -hmm. So I think there is more opportunities and creative ways 
that employers are embracing and programs that they're looking at to sort of support these types of workers. How can workers find these places? So there's a actually a few large organizations I know of that have formal returnship programs, companies like Goldman Sachs, JPMorgan Chase, um, Intel. But more and more, these are just, you know, a few examples that I know of, but there's more and more companies that are offering these types of programs. We recommend researching, talking to folks, um, doing informational interviews with some larger employers that might be in your community to see if they'd be open or interested in, if they don't have one, potentially starting a program that that might support that type of work. And are they all paid or are some of them unpaid? And what's the pros and cons of accepting one of those? <laughs> some are unpaid. Some provide stipends. I think the opportunity is to have sort of this structured place to kind of get back into the workforce um, where you're actually on the job learning skills, learning new technologies, interacting, being part of being part of something without having to necessarily continue job seeking until the right opportunity comes along. So embedded in this, and as you noted, it's um, an ideal returnship, just like a good internship when you're starting out, um, gives you training, networking, mentors. Um, and a big part of that are developing skills, both soft and hard skills that are necessary to do the job and then to succeed while you're doing it. Um, what are um, key skills that um, folks at this age really should be paying attention to developing and where can they go to develop them? We're seeing in our research that sort of these soft skills or power skills, I like to call them, um, include things like work ethic, professionalism, management, leadership, mentorship. And a lot of that comes with experience. So actually older workers tend to have um, more soft skills than younger their younger counterparts. And we encourage when we talk about our employer pledge program and, and being and embracing a multi-generational or age-inclusive workforce, we we talk about that the importance of being multi-generational, right? And having opportunities for younger and older workers to be working together because that's when productivity increases and creativity is increased right. and innovation um, and all that has been seen um, in the in studies and in in the bottom line of organizations. So with it, I appreciate this like reinforcement that these skills are one real, we have them, they're valuable. Just think of conflict resolution. Um, that is a mature person's game. So it's, it's you know, a thing that you grow into and you really learn. But at the same time, um, there are other skills that are, you know, it is a digital world and, uh, whether it's that somebody's been out of the workforce, I'd actually posit that for many who really excelled in the workforce, um, they moved past the point of doing a lot of the work themselves because they moved into management roles. And so their relationship to technology also changes in that capacity. Um, when you think about the, the kinds of skills that older workers need to develop, what's on that list and where can they go to develop them? There's a lot of places they can go. We, you know, I mentioned we have AARP Skills Builder for Work, which is a catalog of hundreds of courses where you can get upskilled and reskilled. We offer seven of those courses for free. Um, anything from sort of entrepreneurship and small business work to HR work to marketing automation and digital marketing. So there's a lot of there's a lot out there that that people can can look to. It's, it's LinkedIn Learning. You know, I think every um, there's lots of organizations offering different skills and upskilling opportunities. I think understanding sort of where you want your career to go and the skills you need to to reach those either a certain position or if it's a credential or a certificate certificate you need. Um, there are tons of places to be able to to gain those skills needed. I we also see that 
um, continuing to work and be in the workforce and communicating to your employers that you want these to learn these new skills um, and that you're willing to take courses or go outside of the workday to be able to learn something new is something that our, our latest value of experience survey has shown that older workers continue to want to do that. And we are still continuing to see that both women have, I think 50% of women 40 and over have taken or are currently taking job related uh, skills training to keep those skills up. So we're seeing it when it's needed for job seeking, but we're also seeing it while you're currently, you know, older women currently in the workforce proactively doing So it's that. a testimony to the lifelong learners out there and that we all need to take a page out of that book because there's a point where we may have to become lifelong learners in order to stay in the workforce. Um, I want to boil down to a, a kind of fundamental divide. Um, are we at a point where most workers who are in this category, let's call them between 55 and 70, 55 and 70, that there's the digital fluency necessary to engage with what, what sounds like wholly online learning for skill development? I know AARP still provides a ton of education in person, and we are filling that gap. And we know that there is portions of our audience and our constituents who still want to learn in person. And I do know that more and more, you know, universities or other educational institutions are trending in that direction now that we're sort of out of some of the, the pandemic. So if there are people who really they're they're ready, to, they need to get back into the workplace, they want to get into the workplace, um, and they're really starting from zero. Um, I think local libraries are still a place where you can build basic digital skills. Yes. They're an amazing resource that's out there. And then as um, even if your digital skills are um, up to date and at your disposal, there's going to be this distinction of some people still like to be in a room with other people and learn like in person versus learning online. And both exist then. Yes. And we see the value or the knowledge gained within those experiences of being in person actually, you know, are much higher than a digital learning experience. So it's not going away. It's, you know, hopefully we're seeing more and more of it um, now that we're coming out of, of the, the pandemic. We also at AARP Foundation, they have a program with, um, with the Google Foundation around digital skills ready at 50 plus, and they have trainings in person in eight states. And so there's a lot that both AARP and AARP Foundation are doing in the in-person digital skills space, along with other great partners. Um, do you have any glimpse into what the skills themselves are that are being built? Is it financial? Is it um, design? Like, what categories are those skills in? There's a range based on, you know, the individual and what they know. We've seen things like getting older adults comfortable with using Zoom. That's not something that they might not have ever needed to do. The pandemic somewhat forced some of that, that learning, but everything from learning how to use Zoom, being able to do an interview on some on a Google chat or, you know, or Teams, Microsoft Teams, and then everything up to digital marketing. And, you know, that's changing on a daily basis and to keep older workers informed of like, what are the new platforms, from a digital marketing standpoint with social media, paid search, all of those different topics. Um, so I've seen a wide range depending on what the the user's sort of base level knowledge. But it's been. encouraging and exciting to hear that that range is available so that people don't need to be afraid or presume that they don't have the prerequisites necessary to wind up learning about digital marketing. There's an entry place for everybody. Correct. That, that is great. So as you look at your own work over the next, say, three years, what are the things you're hoping to move into and branch into? Like what's like I, for those of I can see her because we're doing this interview on Zoom. You guys are listening on radio. But there is a gigantic whiteboard behind her with stuff all over it. So tell me about what are the what's the future work in your financial resilience programming? Yeah, so we're looking a lot at 
the entrepreneur small business space and how we can support the older entrepreneur for getting started and helping them through that process of either starting a new business or, or growing their business. We are continuing to educate employers on the value of older workers. I mentioned before, we're, we're all you know aging, we're all living longer, five generations in the workforce, that's not going away. Uh, we're working longer and we want the 50 plus to be able to stay in the workplace for as long as they want or as long as they need. Right. Uh, so continuing to educate um, employers on on the value of, of those older workers and what they bring to the workforce and all the tools and resources and education support needed for that that job seeker or that that job seeker who's looking to potentially make a major career shift and what are the skills needed or what do they need to do to to tailor their resume to to make sure they can can show the experience they have for that that new transition or that new the new career they want. It's so exciting. Who's what's the team that helps you do this? Because you're not doing this alone, are you? No, it's across the enterprise. We work very closely with the team around savings and planning. As as you know, work is part of saving for retirement. We work with our team on age discrimination, both from helping employers understand to consumers and sharing their story and the support and resources they can get if they're experiencing it themselves to all of the work with our caregivers, supporting over 40 million caregivers That's in this amazing. country. A lot of who are working caregivers, they're working full-time while also full-time caring for someone. It is an enterprise-wide effort and working with our, our AARP foundation colleagues who are doing a ton in the workforce development space and providing programs that are life-changing and transformational to the low-income 50-plus across the country. It's such amazing and important work. For people who want to find out more about, because um, there are a lot, of, like, for those of you who may just, like, be warming up to AARP for the first time, it's no joke. There's a ton of information that's being made available. Um, so if people want to find more from AARP, where should they start? They can go to aarp.org forward slash work. And that is where we house all of our access to our workforce tools, to our in-person events and online videos, um, as well as how you can get involved. And also, I want to give a shout out to there's a section on the website for research. And there's interesting reports on women entrepreneurs, skills that you need, a whole bunch of resources. And Carly, where can people find you? They can find me on LinkedIn. It's Carly Rozkowski. Um, I'm on. You're on Twitter. Twitter. Okay. Okay. Facebook. Okay, great. <laughs> Feel free well, to reach out. Terrific. Carly, thank you so much for joining us. And to our listeners, thank you for being there today. Thanks to my team. Amazing as always. I'm Laura Zarrow, and you've been listening to Women at Work on SiriusXM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.